Chapter 2 of Theophilus, or Love Divine, by Pierre du Moulin, translated by Richard Goring. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Five Degrees of the Love of God We are so incapable of the love of God that we are even ignorant what it is. This herb groweth not in our garden, it is a gift from above, coming from the Father of Lights, who is love and charity itself, as saith St. John. It is a liquor which God poureth into our souls by drops, as into narrow-mouthed vessels. Wherefore, to deal with ourselves according to our own slowness, we will endeavour to receive it into our minds by little and little, and by easy steps to bring ourselves to the highest degree of love. There are five degrees of this love, the lowest whereof, being the most imperfect, doth serve notwithstanding to raise us to the highest. 1. The first degree is to love God, because of the good which he doth us, and which we hope to receive of him. 2. The second degree is to love him for his own sake, because he is sovereignly excellent, and most excellently amiable. 3. The third is not only to love God above all things, and more than ourselves, but also not to love anything in the world but for God's love. 4. The fourth is to hate ourselves for God's sake. 5. Above all which degrees... That love of God excelleth, wherewith we shall love him in the life to come, a love which burneth in the breasts of saints and angels, which stand before his throne of glory. We call these sorts of love degrees and not kinds, because the higher degrees contain the inferior, even as the most excellent white differeth from other whiteness, less clear, not in kind of colour, but in degree, steps upon which we must get up, and upon each of them stay a little our spirits. The first degree. The first and lowest step is to love God because of the good which he doth us. Upon this degree of love was David, when, in the 116th psalm, he said, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice. And in the 18th psalm, for God will be loved for doing good unto us. It is God which hath made us, which keepeth and guideth us, which nourisheth our bodies and instructeth our souls, redeemeth us by his Son, governeth us by his Holy Spirit, teacheth us by his word, maketh us his servants, yea, his friends, yea, his children, yea, even one with himself. Plato, philosophizing upon the grace of God, according as he was able, gave thanks unto him for three things. One, for that he had created him a man and not a beast. Two, that he was born a Grecian and not a barbarian. Three, that not only so, but a philosopher also. We that are instructed in a better school do otherwise distribute our thanksgiving, and do praise him for three things also. One, that amongst all his creatures he hath made us men, created after his own image. Two, that from amongst all sorts of men he hath made us Christians. Three, that amongst those which bear the name of Christians he hath made us faithful ones. Hereunto you may add, if you will, the fourth, that he hath adopted and elected us in his Son before the foundation of the world, having had care of us not only before we were born, but even before the world was made. For if a woman, lately conceiving, love her future fruit, much more doth she so when it is born and embraced in her arms. So if God loved us before we had any being, how much more when we call upon him and love him with a filial love. Now in this grace the less our number is, the greater is our privilege, the greater his bounty and mercy towards us, to be like a few well-sighted amongst a throng of blind men, like the portion of Jacob in Egypt, alone enlightened in the midst of that darkness which covered all the country.
like Gideon's fleece, alonely watered with his blessing, whilst all the rest of the earth is dry, and destitute of his grace. God hath environed us with examples of blindness, to the end we might make the more account of light, and that we should go on in the way of righteousness, whilst the day lasteth, whilst he enlighteneth us by his word. All these graces depend upon one special grace, which is our reconciliation with God by the death of Jesus Christ. It is he that is the conduit pipe through which the graces of God do flow unto us. It is Jacob's ladder which joineth earth unto heaven, which joineth man again with God. The angels ascending this ladder do signify our prayers. The angels descending signify God's blessings. Jacob's sleeping at the foot of this ladder representeth the rest of our consciences under the shadow of his intercession. For before, on what side soever, man could turn his eyes, he could see nothing but matter of fear and astonishment. If he looked on God, he saw a consuming fire and a sovereign justice armed against sinners. If he looked on the law, he saw the sentence of his condemnation. If on the heaven, he said, I am shut out thereof by my sins. If on the world, he saw himself fallen from the empire he before had over the creatures. If on himself, he saw a thousand corporal and spiritual infirmities. By the signs in heaven and earthquakes, he was seized with trembling and fear. Then Satan, death, and hell were the enemies which either drew him to perdition or tortured him with their apprehension. But now each man which hath an assured trust in Jesus Christ looketh on all these things with another eye and singeth another song. If he look upon God, he will say, It is my Father who hath adopted me in his Son. If he think on the judgment seat of the last day, he will say, My elder brother sitteth thereon, and he who is my judge is also my advocate. If he think on the angels, he will say, These are my keepers, Psalm 34. If he look on heaven, he will say, It is my house. If he hear it thunder from above, he will say, It is my father's voice. If he consider the law, he saith, The Son of God hath fulfilled it for me. If he be in prosperity on earth, he will say, God hath yet better things for me in store. If he be in adversity, he will say, Jesus Christ hath suffered much more hereof for my sake. God exerciseth me, proveth me, or correcteth me, or rather honoureth me, making me like unto his Son. If he think on the devil, death, or hell, then he will triumph over all, saying with the Apostle, 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? Thanks be to God who hath given us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. If these things buzz and keep a noise like angry wasps, yet have they lost their sting. If the old serpent prick our heel, yet is his head bruised. If the devil, through persecutions, give us a false alarm, yet belong we to Jesus Christ, who hath bought us, and none shall snatch us out of his hand. Who will fear having such a patron, who not only maketh intercession for sinners, but of sinners maketh them just? who not only pleadeth for a bad case, but also of bad maketh it good, because that he doth not only pray, but also pray for us, so that to pardon us is not only a work of his mercy, but also an effect of his justice. These obligations under the loving God are common unto all the faithful. But I think if each one would look back into the course of his life, and call to mind the time past, there is none of us but should find just cause to acknowledge, besides these common benefits, many particular witnesses of the care and love of God towards us, of deliverances out of many dangers, unhoped-for good chances, commodious afflictions, our purposes crossed but for our good, extraordinary means to bring us unto the knowledge of his truth. Shall it be said that the blessings of God have rained upon the sands without making us more fruitful of good works?' 
Shall we be like unto beasts, which drink of the brook without thinking of the spring, without raising up our thoughts unto God, the wellspring of all blessing? The meanwhile, when we say that God doth us good, to the end we should love him, it is not because he hath any need of our love, but because he would save us. He would that we should love him, because it is impossible to be saved whilst we hate him. Moreover, our loving him also is partly his gift, for it is he which kindleth his love in us. God doth not only give us his graces, but giveth also grace to demand them, the hand to apprehend them, and grace to make good use thereof, the virtue to glorify him for the same, in such sort as to acknowledge that we owe unto him not only those his good things, but even ourselves also. God doth good unto the unworthy, but he maketh them worthy by this doing them good, his spiritual graces being of such nature as they transform such as receive them. This first degree of love being holy and necessary is not for all that, any more than a beginning of the love of God, and is the first stroke of true piety. For he who loveth God, but for his profit, is like unto little children who say their prayers that they may break their fasts, and to speak properly, they love not God but themselves. Such a love, if it extend itself no further, is a mercenary love, yea, and injurious unto God. For it may be always thought that the end is better than those things which tend thereunto. If then the love of God have no other end but our own profit, we place the same above God, and make our interest more excellent than his service. Let him then, which is come to this first degree of love, if he pass on no further, know that God partneth us much, if he punish not that which is grounded but upon the love of ourselves. Wherefore, we must mount higher, and come to the second step. The second degree of God's love. The second step of God's love is to love him not only for our profit's sake, but even for his own sake, to wit, that laying aside all consideration of his benefits, yea, and our hope of any profit from him, yet to love him above all things. David speaketh of this love in the sixty-ninth psalm, verse thirty-seven, Let all them which love thy name rejoice. He would have us love God for his name's sake, that is to say, because he is sovereign Lord, wise in his counsels, just in his actions, true in his promises, dwelling in glory which none can attain unto, possessing a sovereign perfection. God, whose life is without beginning and ending, his eternity without change, his greatness without measure, his power without resistance, who hath made the world by his word, governeth it by his sight, and shall ruinate it by his will, who in one virtue and perfection, which is his essence, encloseth all virtue, which is everywhere dispersed in the creatures, as diverse lines which meet in one centre do disperse themselves by their extension. For these considerations God ought to be loved more than for the good which he doth us. Jesus Christ himself teacheth us the same in the prayer he formed for us, in which he appointeth us to demand the sanctifying of his name and the advancement of his kingdom before we crave anything for our profit. A desire which so possessed the spirit of Moses and the apostle St. Paul, that forgetting themselves they desired rather to be blotted out of the book of life and to be accursed than that God should not be glorified. Wherefore, to plant in us this love which loveth God for his own sake, it is necessary to know so far forth as we may what he is in himself, and wherefore sovereignly to be beloved. We naturally love beauty. Now light is the chief of beauties, without which all other beauties do nothing differ from deformities. God, then, being the chief light, is necessarily the chiefest beauty. 
He is the Father of lights, saith St. James. The fountain of light is in him, and through his light we see clearly, saith David in the 36th Psalm. For this cause, when he first set his hand unto the creation, he began with the light as a thing best representing his nature. He is the sun of justice, the sun which setteth not, which maketh no shadow, unto which all things are transparent, which not only enlighteneth the eyes, but even giveth sight, and judge you what this sovereign brightness is, seeing that the seraphim standing before the throne are dazzled, and feigned to cover their faces with their wings, as Isaiah saith, being not able to endure so great a splendour. For if, at the glorious apparition of the humanity of Jesus Christ, the sun shall be darkened as some little light at the appearing of a greater, what may be the splendour of his divinity? If you will consider the life of God, ours is but a shadow and nothing in comparison. For our life is a flowing and succession of parts, but God possesseth his life entirely at one instant and all at once. He who will know what the life of God is in comparison of man's life, let him compare the sea with some little brook. 1. The sea is very great, and the brook very little. 2. The sea budgeth not from his place, but the brook runneth still forth, and is always a new water. 3. The waters of the sea come from no other place, but all running waters come from the sea, and return thither. The like is the life of God compared with ours. 1. His life is infinite, and ours very short. 2. His life consisteth in rest, and to possess all his life at one instant, but our life is a flux and a succession of parts. 3. His life cometh from none other, but our life cometh from him. Acts 17 verse 28, and returneth unto him again. As Solomon saith in the twelfth of Ecclesiastes, the earth returneth unto the earth as it was before, and the spirit unto God which gave it. God's knowledge is also a bottomless pit. He knoweth all things, yea, even such as are not. Things past are not past unto him, the future are present before him. He soundeth the heart, he seeth through the cloak of hypocrisy. We behold things one after another, but he seeth them all at one view, as if a man were all eye, and should see all that were about him, without turning himself. We see things because they are, on the contrary, things are because God seeth them. For in God to see is as much as to will, and his will is to do. To know things, we look upon them, but God to know things looketh on himself, because that in his wisdom he hath the model of all things, and in his will the sentence of all chances. How admirable also is his holiness! It infinitely surpasseth the holiness of angels and saints. As it is said in the book of Job, chapter 15, Behold, he hath no assurance in his saints, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much more abominable and vile is man who drinketh iniquity like water! Even as the Holy Scripture calleth the highest heaven, the heaven of heavens, because it encloseth the inferior, so also it calleth God the holy of holies, because his holiness encloseth that of all the saints, as being infinitely inferior. The holiness of the creature is a quality, that of God is his substance. God is holy of himself, but men and angels are not saints, but because God hath sanctified them. Also, after a clean contrary manner unto men, he is just. For men are just because they do just things. In God it is otherwise, for the things are just because God doth them. For he is justice itself. Wherefore he is just for no other cause, but 
for that he doth according to his will, according to which he hath given us his law, the perfect rule of justice, which he not only setteth before us, but also writeth it in us, and engraveth it with his finger in the stone, as he promiseth in the thirty-first of Jeremiah, I will put my law into them, and will write it in their hearts. He loveth justice and truth. He hateth the workers of iniquity, he rooteth out liars, he hateth the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Psalm 5. What shall we say of his goodness, through which he loveth them which hate him, by which he causeth his sun to shine upon the just and unjust, the good and bad, by which he raineth down his goodness even into the mouths which are open to blaspheme him? Above all, this infinite goodness shineth in the person of his son, this son so begotten before all eternity, that he yet now begetteth him, son without beginning of time, son of the like age as the father, essential word, eternal wisdom, God everlastingly blessed. That son, which Isaiah calleth the father of eternity, would make himself the son of man, to the end that we might be children of God. Yea, was content to be born in a stable, to the end that we might be received into heaven, to be born amongst beasts, to the end that we might be companions with angels. He who as the word itself was content to stammer as a child, to the end that we might speak unto God with all liberty. He who as the bread of life was content to be unhungered, to the end we might be satisfied. He who as the fountain of life was content to be athirst, to the end our souls might be moistened. Briefly, he who is life itself hath suffered death, that he might give us life. All this for vile creatures, yea, enemies unto God, that he might make them of slaves unto Satan, his own children, and transport them from hell into his kingdom. These are the bottomless pits of the bounty and goodness of God, which do gently swallow up our souls. There is pleasure to lose oneself therein. For these are the bottomless depths of the grace of God, which pass our understanding, but do recreate our hearts, which give matter of admiration, and also no less subject of consolation. Here are the highest witnesses of his love, here are all his fatherly affections laid open, all the riches of that grace which the angels themselves admire, and, as St. Peter saith, endeavour to pry profoundly into, loving in this case the goodness of God not for their own profit, but in respect of God himself, for Jesus Christ is not come into the world for their redemption. Now to what end all this, but that we should love him who hath so much loved us, and admire with joy the treasures of his grace? O God, as thy greatness is incomprehensible, so also thy bounty is infinite. Our spirits are stopped with this contemplation, our words are beneath our thoughts, and our thoughts yet much lower than the truth. We speak of this greatness but stammeringly, our praises do abase thee, we draw the picture of the sun with a coal. But, O God, raise up our souls to thee, and if our spirits be too weak to know thee, make our affections ardent to love thee. Thou who wast pleased to be our Father, touch our hearts with a filial affection. Thou which givest us occasion to love thee, give us also the motions thereof. For as much as we are poor in means, so much are we incapable to receive them, and to love thee after having received them, if thou thyself dost not plant thy love in us. All these considerations do raise up our spirits to love God, not for ourselves, but for his own sake, which appeareth also in this, that our love to God cannot be well directed, if it be not formed upon the model of that love wherewith God hath loved us. Now God loveth us for the love of himself, as he saith by the mouth of Isaiah, 
It is I, it is I that blotteth out thy sins for mine own sake. And it is the prayer which Daniel maketh in his ninth chapter, Lord, hear, Lord, pardon, Lord, tarry not, but hasten for thine own sake, for thy name hath been called upon this city and upon thy people. God considereth that we bear his image, he considereth that we are unworthy of his grace, but that it is a thing worthy of his bounty to do good unto the unworthy, and which is more to make them worthy by doing them good. He considereth that his church is like unto a flock which carrieth his name, and is called the people of God, and therefore he will not let it be Satan's prey, nor a matter of triumph unto the adversary. The third degree of the love of God. The third degree or step is so to love God above all things, that we should love nothing in the world but for his sake. For example, there are many persons and many things in the world that we cannot keep ourselves from loving, yea, and it would be ill done not to love them. So a father loveth his children, a wife her husband, our kindred, allies, neighbours and friends have part in this amity. So a man loveth his health, his house, his land, his study, etc. To go about to dispossess a man of the love of these things would be an inhumane doctrine, and more than tending to brutality. He is worse than an infidel that hath not care of his family, saith the apostle. Piety rooteth not out these affections, but doth husband them, and of mistresses, which they were, maketh them but handmaids unto the love and fear of the Lord. No more than Joshua would kill the Gibeonites, but subjected them unto the service of God's house. For then doth a father love his children as he ought, if in bringing them up he purposed to use them as men do young plants, which shall one day bring forth fruit to the glory of God. If he so remember himself to be their father, that he be yet more mindful that God is his, then a man loveth his friends as he ought, when he loveth them because they love God, and because he seeth the image of God shining in them. So we shall then justly love health, when we shall love it, not because it is more gamesome and without pain, but because it bringeth vigour unto our bodies, and liberty unto our minds to serve God in our vocation. The like ought to be said of riches, of honours, of knowledge, things which one may honestly love, provided that their love do not distract us from the love of God, but may rather thereto advance and help us to perform good works. And as there is not any so little brook, but it leadeth us unto the sea, so let these goodnesses of God, seem they never so small, lead our thoughts to this great depth of the goodness and greatness of God. Briefly, all our lives and affections towards our neighbours, shall be well squared out when they shall be branches and brooks of God's love, and a reflection of our sight, which from God glanceth upon his image. Never love the persons for that which is about them, but for what is in them. Esteem not of men as of purses for the money which is therein. If you honour a man because he is well clothed, by consequence ought we to salute Saturn in whole pieces. If you account of a man for his honour's sake, you tie his dignity to his titles and to his habit, which things, being taken away, there is no more of anything which ought to be loved, as a horse which carrieth an idol, which being taken away hath no more reverences done about him. On the contrary, if you love a man because he feareth God, because he is firm in the faith, forward in the knowledge of God, true in his words, just in his actions, charitable towards the afflicted, burning with the zeal of God's house, you shall never want occasion to love him. Take away from him his goods, his honours, yea, his clothes, yea, even his body. All these ornaments will remain, and that excellency which consisteth in the image of God and the graces of his spirit. 
I am not ignorant that the secrets of men's hearts are very deep, and oftentimes the friends which a man chooseth for virtuous do become vicious, or else show they were never otherwise. In this case the man which loveth God ought to reprehend his friend, and to reform him if he can possible. Flattery hath taken away from true friendship all his terms, except the liberty to reprehend. To be afraid to chide one's friend, lest we should offend him, is a respect full of cruelty, as if, when he were ready to be drowned, thou shouldst fear to catch him by the hair of the head, lest he should lease a hair or two. If, by these reprehensions, thy friend do not amend, the friendship of a man must then give place unto God's love. We must do like Moses, who made use of his rod whilst it was a rod, but fled from before it when it became a serpent. And yet, in this case, it were better to separate ourselves by little and little, and to unsow friendship, rather than to tear it asunder. Unto all these difficulties the love of God serveth as a rule. Many heathen have gathered a number of precepts of friendship, but have not discovered this secret which ruleth all their rules, that is, to learn first to love God, and to cause our friendships to be derived from His love, such as the brain is under the sinews, the liver unto the veins, and the heart unto the arteries, that very same is the love of God unto human friendships, that is to say, they are but threads and branches which depend thereon. This divine love not being therein, friendships are no friendships, but a conspiration, an accord or agreement to disagree with God. Friendships grounded upon pleasure or upon gain, which cease when pleasures lease their taste through age, or when profit diminisheth, or is not equally distributed, but friendships grounded upon the love of God are firm because they are grounded upon a sure foundation. Which love ought so far to advance itself, that... For the love of God, we ought not only to love our friends, but even our enemies, because God willeth it. Matthew 5. Because that amongst these enmities, some marks of God's image do yet appear, because they are, as it were, rods in God's hand for our amendment, and enforcements unto his fear. The fourth degree of the love of God. We are not yet at the highest, for we must come even to the hating of ourselves for the love of God. For even as there is not in man any love more strong or more natural than the love of ourselves, so is it that same which most resisteth the love of God, and which is most uneasy to be surmounted. That which the shirt is in our clothing, the same is the love of ourselves in our affections, to wit, that which is last put off. There we are to fight a great combat. It is, as it were, Satan's last entrenchment, from whence he is uneasily driven away. Yet none can love God as he ought, who hateth not his own nature, who is not grieved at his own desires, and maketh not mortal war against them, being desirous to finish this combat by death, and to be dissolved that he might be with God, ready to be prodigal of his blood, that he might be sparing of God's glory, waxing weary of this body of ours, as of a moving prison or portable sepulchre. Like unto him that being in prison looketh through the gates desiring his liberty, so look you not to get out at the door, you shall only get out through the ruins thereof, by the destruction of this body, as when the prison sinketh, and the prisoner escapeth at some breach thereof. He which shall have most made war with himself shall have the more peace with God. He which shall not have pardoned himself, God shall pardon him. He which shall have despised, yea, hated his own life, he shall save it. Here is the fourth degree or step of love, and the highest that man can reach unto in this life. It was this degree of love which made the apostle to cry out, Alas, miserable man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
It was this degree of love which caused David, having a scepter in his hand, being vanquisher of his enemies and filled with earthly riches and honour, to acknowledge himself but a stranger and wayfaring man upon earth. It is this degree of love which hath sustained martyrs in their torments, the heat whereof hath been hotter than the heat of the fire. Can you think that they had their muscles of steel or bodies incapable of torment and pain? It is not so, but as the heat of a feather drieth up outward ulcers, and a lesser heat is surmounted by a greater, so the interior heat of God's love did surmount the heat of the flame, and had more strength to sustain them than pain had power to prevail against them. Martyrs, whose virtues do yet unto this day sustain our vices, whose ashes do yet heat our coldness, whose blood doth yet cry, speaking both for the truth of the gospel and against our slackness, who in a little time are so far degenerate from their constancy. Surely if they do not serve us for an example, they will serve us for a reproach and condemnation. Now to come to this degree of love we must have a long and hard combat, for our flesh is rebellious and mutinous, and covetousness so rooted therein, that to pluck it up, as witnesseth the Son of God himself, is as if a man should cut off a hand or pluck out an eye. And St. Paul also calleth our desires our members. Notwithstanding, God saith that he will make an end of his work in our infirmity. He maketh us to be victorious, but after many falls. Oftentimes, man being placed as in a crossway between the spirit and the flesh, between the love of God and the love of the world, he feeleth contrary suggestions and a marvellous combat. How many times cometh it to pass that after the love of God hath had the upper hand, and that the faithful hath resolved to be good, by and by his desires do reassemble themselves and give a new assault unto the fear of God? The faithful, being thus assailed, either with some appetite of revenge, of rapine, or lust, shall feel this love of God speaking thus unto him in his heart. Miserable man, whither goest thou? Doth not God see this? Despisest thou his threatenings? Rejectest thou his promises? Forgettest thou thy vocation? Wherefore wouldst thou grieve the Spirit of God? Wherefore wouldst thou bring a scandal upon his church? Where are the promises which thou hast made him? Where is thy mindfulness of his benefits? Is this the way to the kingdom of heaven? Art thou assured that, being fallen, thou shalt rise again? For a little pleasure mingled with bitterness, wilt thou trouble the peace of thy conscience? For a little pottage of herbs, wilt thou neglect thy birthright? At these suggestions the faithful will stay himself, he will sigh before God, and like Samson he will break the bonds of his desires. But all is not yet done, nor this rebellious flesh is not yet quelled. For after these holy restitutions we have for certain spaces great dullness again. Then the devil espieth occasion, if he see us in bad company, if he see us idle, if we have discontinued prayer, reading or hearing of the word of God, then our desires do rouse themselves up again. Then the contrary suggestions of the flesh and the spirit struggle together for mastery, which maketh the life of the faithful oftentimes seem bitter, even to the desiring of death, to end this combat. O miserable nature, enemy to its own self, O ingrafted and deep-rooted corruption, O mutinous sedition, which wouldst bring us back into Egypt, which after our coming out of Sodom makest us to look back again, like unto Lot's wife, and makest us loath to leave the evil we are come from, corruption which troubleth our best actions by bad suggestions, and besmeareth them with some evil. If we think upon death, our flesh suggesteth unto us that there is yet time enough to think thereon. If we hear or read the reprehensions of God's word, it persuadeth us that it is spoken unto others. If we think of heaven, it saith, We shall come time enough thither. If thou thinkest to give alms, it will softly suggest in thine ear, 
What know I that I shall have no need thereof myself? If thou wouldst reprehend thy friend for his amendment, it will draw thee by a cruel respect, namely, for fear of offending him. Each good affection hath, as it were, two ears like a pot, by which the flesh and the world take hold to hinder the execution thereof. Here, then, we must carefully have recourse to God's assistance, and imitate Rebecca, who had recourse unto prayer when two children strove in her womb, a most express figure of these two men which are in every faithful person, the one which is the old, the other which is the new man, the one our corrupted nature, the other the regenerate spirit, which do covet one against another, as saith the Apostle St. Paul. Wherefore also God answered Rebecca, The elder shall serve the younger. For the old man must be subjected unto the new, until he be fully ranked in due obedience unto God. The fifth degree of the love of God. There remaineth now the last and chiefest degree or step, which is the love wherewith we shall love God in the glory celestial, for we love things according as we know them. We shall therefore love God much more then, because we shall much better know him. Now, saith the apostle, we know in part, now we see as in a glass obscurely, but then we shall see face to face. Our love, which seeth from afar off, and which is distracted by diverse objects, shall then see near at hand, and shall wholly be fixed upon God. And as when two great high-swelling rivers come to encounter one another, they make a marvellous inundation, so the love of ourselves and the love of God are like two streams which never join themselves together on earth, but shall meet in heaven. What then shall the vehemency be of both these affections when they shall be mingled both together and joined in one love? For then in loving God we shall love ourselves, because God shall dwell in us, and because that, saith the Apostle St. John, we shall be like unto him. Nor are we not to doubt, but that the angels and saints do love themselves ardently, but with a love which distilleth from the love of God. O happy and admirable love of oneself, which is mingled with the love of God! Let us forbear to love ourselves until that time, and let us love nothing in ourselves but what doth prepare us and entertain us with the hope of this love. But because this love with which we shall love God in paradise doth grow from the view and contemplation of his face, for love is kindled by the sight, let us learn what sight this shall be, that shall cause this our love. Our bodily eyes see things by two means, either by receiving their images, for so we see the bodies exposed to our view, or by receiving into our eyes the thing itself which we see. So we see the light, which we see in such sort as that it entereth even into our eyes. Now God, who is the chiefest of lights, will make our souls to see him in heaven in this latter fashion. For he dwelleth in his saints, and is in them all in all. But in this life he causeth himself to be seen by images, that is, by the contemplation of his works, in which he hath imprinted a picture, as it were, of himself, and the express marks of his virtue. Therefore we shall then see our God in such sort as we now see the light, but that now we see it not but by the windows of the body, that is, by the eyes. For then we shall receive throughout all our parts the light of God, which shall enlighten us on all sides with the beams of his holiness. Even as if a man were all eye throughout, and should receive light in himself on all sides. This same sight of God will make us like unto God, as St. John saith, we shall be like unto him, for we shall see him as he is. For as a looking-glass cannot be exposed to the sun, but it will shine like the same, so God receiveth none to contemplate his face, 
but he transformeth them into his own likeness by the irradiation of his light and perfection. And as God is charity and love itself, as the same apostle teacheth, it is necessary that the creature, being by this view made like unto God, should also be seized with his love and inflamed with this spiritual fire, a fire which hath given name unto the seraphims, so called because of their ardour, which is nothing else but the love of God, the fervour of their zeal and their readiness to do him service. Here necessarily must end these degrees or steps of love, and our meditation can mount no higher. It is the last step of Jacob's ladder by which we mount up unto God. End of chapter 2